get the draw, guys. Good. So, yeah, thanks, Snape. Yes, sir, they're doing well. Good to see Ben and Megan there and enjoying uh, family and friends. Um, we are looking at our mission statement for 2019, called Refocus 2019. And um, just going to get my Bible to the right place. I'm not sure about you guys, but I, uh, not every night, but most nights I do like to watch the news on television. Some people don't like doing that at all, but I, I, I actually like to keep up to date with what's happening around the world, also locally. <coughs> Pardon me. And uh, news is a great place for that. But when we watch the news, we get a whole range of news now. We've got a whole mixed bag of stuff that's happening. Uh, recently, we've had lots of bad news, uh, like floods in Townsville. Uh, fires in Tasmania. I mean, I was just thinking of Townsville today. I think one place had 1.3 metres of water in seven days. It's unbelievable when you think it's like that much water just over a whole vast area of land. That's the news we've had, though. Suicide bombings, we're here in Syria, and we get murder and mayhem pretty regularly every night to some extent uh, on the news as well. Uh, we also get good news stories uh, when we watch the news too. I mean, a few years ago we heard that really great story about that lost boy who was found around uh, Lake Yildon. Uh, often you'll hear of a couple's miraculous escape from a car crash or a group of people actually helping out the underprivileged. And they're really good news stories that are actually great to hear about as well. Thinking about news though, what is the best news that you could ever hear, do you think? What is the best news that you could ever hear when it comes to news. Come with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read the first uh, 11 verses there as we uh, think about um, good news. Chapter 15, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians starts with this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. And on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Uh, Father, we just thank you that now we can come and open up this living eternal word. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, for this word that you've inspired 2,000 years ago, uh, that you would breathe life into it again today as we think about the gospel, which is of first importance. And we're going to ask that question today, Lord, what actually is this gospel? What is this good news? And I pray that you will open our hearts up to see that, to appreciate that, and to, uh, Lord, become, as it were, broadcasters of this news. 
Uh, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, so we're in the middle of what we call Refocus um, 2019, looking at our vision statement. Vision statement being connecting people to Jesus, growing people in Jesus. Uh, What we're doing is trying to bring clarity here to what Exchange Church is all about as we unpack this uh, line here. We're working getting us all on the same page as we think about the vision and the mission of Exchange Church. Uh, Last week, uh, more so, we looked at how we grow people in Jesus, this growing people in Jesus. It's how we apply the gospel to our lives on a regular basis. And it's through uh, the four means of grace we looked at last week, or we looked at these four means of grace, of uh, Bible, prayer, community, fellowship, and serving. Bible, prayer, community, slash fellowship, and serving. And these aren't once-off things. That we're continually applying the gospel to our lives all the time. It's not a once-off thing that I hear the message of the gospel and that's it, I'm done with it. It's a continual, as Paul said in that passage, holding fast, holding fast to the gospel and to those means of grace that God gives. And then that, that's how we grow as disciples. As we continue to hold fast uh, in the gospel, we grow in maturity and also joy in fellowship with Christ and in following him in that way. But this week we want to sort of, as it were, step back from that. I know you're probably thinking, should we have started this way and then gone on to the next one? Which is sort of the guy I am sometimes. This week we're going to step back and we're going to drill down a bit further into the first base of what it is to connect people to Jesus. To connect people to Jesus. So how does this look? How does connecting people to Jesus, what does it mean? How does it look? How does it happen? Uh, and to do this this week as we think about those questions, the key question that we're going to explore as we think about that is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? What is this word that is mentioned hundreds of times through the scriptures? Paul mentions again here, what is the gospel? Because I believe um, this is exactly where people are connected to Jesus. It's through the gospel. It's through the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what the word actually means, itself gospel. It means good news. It means good news. But if we think about good news, it often comes from a bad news situation. Here's an example. You might hear the good news that a baby's been pulled out of the rubble of an earthquake that's destroyed a house. That's really good news. But often there's bad news associated with that because the baby's parents have died. Or the house has been flattened and the next door neighbour's been killed. So good news often comes out of this context as it were, of bad news, bad news. So today we want to look at this idea of explaining the gospel or what is the gospel (coughs) Um, from a bad news context, a good news context, and then as good news broadcasters, as we think about this key uh, concept here or truth of the gospel. So bad news, bad news. In our passage here, we pick up some bad news. In verse 3, it tells us Jesus dies for our sins. Now, the fact that Jesus dies is bad news, isn't it? The fact that you hear anybody die, it's bad news. We ask ourselves here right now, why does Jesus die? Jesus dies for our sins. What is so drastic about our sin that he has to die for our sin? You see, in order to understand the gospel properly, we actually need to step back and understand what sin is to get this idea of why Jesus has to die for sin or why this is such a drastic thing that's taking place. 
And to get sin or to understand it in a greater way, we need to go back to creation and why God created us to see this idea of where and how sin has come into the world. If we go back, we understand this, that we are created by God to be his image bearers, to reflect his image into the world. Genesis 1.26, a very familiar passage, tells us exactly that. Then God said, as he's in the creation stage of creating the world and mankind, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We are meant to reflect an image. When you see a picture or a photograph or something, it's actually reflecting back at you an image. We are meant to reflect the purity and the perfection of God. We are made in God's image. We are to reflect Him because that's who He is. He is purity and perfection in every way. We are created by God to bring glory to Him by reflecting His glory back into the world. That was the purpose of creation of mankind. And it's actually picked up again for us in Isaiah 43. It says this, Every, this is God speaking. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Everything about us is designed by God for us to show his glory into the world. That's our purpose. Every thought, every word, every action carried out by humanity is to reveal the character of God. Holiness, purity, love, kindness, justice, compassion, generosity, and that list can go on and on and on as we think about the goodness of God. And that's what it is. We are created to reveal God's glory in every possible way. And the first two humans, Adam and Eve, did that. Created by God, they lived in this perfection for a period of time. They lived in that way in absolute peace, joy and harmony, reflecting the character and the nature of God um, to the world around about them. But, and we're told there at the end of chapter 2, which we won't have for you, but we're told there at the end of chapter 2, in this period of time of perfection, we're told there that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. In other words, the Bible's giving us a picture here of purity and innocence. Adam and Eve, at this point in time, have no shame or no guilt because they are perfectly reflecting the glory of God and living out his character and nature into the world around about them. Along comes Satan and he tempts them to reject God's rule and for Adam and Eve to go their own way. And they do this by eating from a tree that God has told them not to eat from this tree. God says, there's one tree in the garden. I want you to uh, not eat the fruit from that tree. So Satan attempts them to go to this tree and eat that. They rebel against God and they go and they eat of that tree. They reject God's rule. And then the Bible tells us this. Is that dropping in and out? Okay, I'll see how we'll follow through. The Bible tells us this in, uh, and then in Genesis chapter 3. It says this, uh, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened... And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is no small detail. You sort of might think, is this just a small detail in the sort of the story here of Genesis? There's no small details in the Bible. This is really, really big. It says there, so they've rejected God, they've eaten this fruit. It says there, their eyes are opened. Open to what? 
while it says now their eyes are open to their nakedness, really what their eyes are open to is guilt and shame now. Because five minutes earlier, prior to, eat, prior to eating of this tree, they're not ashamed of anything. They're actually in perfection and purity. Now they've eaten this fruit, this forbidden fruit that God had told them not to eat. Something drastic has happened. Their eyes are now open to guilt and to shame for the very first time in their existence or in their lives. Here's what's happened when they eat, when they ate of that fruit. The moment, the moment they took that bite and they rebelled against God, I get this real sense, as it were, as of a poison, as a poison, as it were, racing to their heart, racing to their inner core, racing to their inner being. And it's like this poison floods through their entire body and forever changes who they are in that one act. It's like this poisonous rebellion hits their mind and they now think totally different from that point on. This poison, as it were, spreads to their heart and it totally changes the way they view God, the way they view the world and the way they view themselves now. It's like this instantaneous thing happens right at that point. Everything's changed. And I get this other picture as well. When they eat of this fruit and they disobey God, I get this other picture here in a relationship sense. That the moment they take a bite of that fruit, they go from, as it were, walking in oneness with God, in complete unity, to now this, as it were, this gasping chasm just opens up between them and God. They are like separated. This gaping hole has just appeared immediately between them and God through this one act of disobeying Him. It's like they've now got this grand canyon that's separating them. It's like, it's the moment they eat, if I, could, I can just really see it's just like opening up before them. They're just getting separated from God because of this one act of rebellion. And this has all happened in an instant, in a split second of time. It's raced into them and it's forever changed who they are. They are radically altered. They are radically altered in their relationship to God, all in this one act of rebellion against God, their Creator. So we need to ask ourselves here, what's happened here in this sense of they were created for God's glory, to reflect His image? What's happened in the sense of that? And what's happened also in the recognition of God's sovereignty or God's rulership over their lives? In this one act of rebellion, here's what Adam and Eve have done within themselves as that has taken place. What they've done is they have dethroned God. In their own eyes and in their own mind, they have dethroned God. They've also, as it were, ungloried God in their own eyes and their own mind. Now God hasn't lost his glory, but in their perception, and their mind, that's exactly what they've done. They've dethroned God and they've ungloried God in that instant. In other words, in their mind, they're saying this. God doesn't rightfully rule in our lives. We now rule ourselves because they've gone outside of God's rule. And life for Adam and Eve now isn't about glorifying God through their actions. Life is now about glorifying themselves. They've dethroned God and they've ungloried God in their own hearts and minds. And this is the essence of what the Bible calls sin. 
Paul actually captures us uh, this for us in Romans 3. He says this. He says this very familiar passage. He says in chapter 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, that's where it's captured for us. That's the essence of sin. Sin is anything we do that doesn't bring glory to God. In other words, sin is anything that we do that doesn't reveal the pure and holy character of who God is. When we lie, what is it? It's a direct attack on God's glory of truth. It's the opposite to what God is. God is all about truth. So when we lie, we're actually attacking God's glory. We're not reflecting his glory back into the world. When we are bitter, what is it? It's an attack on God's glory of his love. Here's something maybe a bit different from those ones. If we happen to sell a defective item on eBay or Gumtree or Chef Buy, Swap and Sell or whatever, and we know it's defective and we sort of want to cheat on it, what is it? It's a direct attack on God's honesty. We're not glorifying God. And anything we do that does not bring glory to God is sinful. Is sinful. And God ultimately said this about sin, this not glorying Him, it would cause death as well. God told Adam at the moment, the, the moment you eat of that tree, uh, you will surely die. Now, we know from the story that Adam and Eve didn't die, but initially that death is spiritual death. They died spiritually, they were cut off from God because they left Him. Yes, and eventually Adam and Eve died physically, so physical death comes into uh, play as well as a real evidence of sin. And then ultimately, sin carries out its fullest penalty with eternal death when we suffer in hell because of God's just um, judgment towards our sin. They are the ramifications, the consequences of sin. So what happened to Adam and Eve with this sin then? It has forever corrupted their original pure nature to now live in a sinful and broken way. And that same corrupted nature, broken nature, sinful nature, has has been passed on to every single human being for the entirety of human history. We all come from Adam and Eve. We have all inherited by nature, their nature, this broken, rebellious, sinful nature. You've only got to read through the pages of Bible of the Bible and you'll see it basically within a few, about two chapters later here. You'll see murder, you'll see rape, you'll see jealousy, you'll see hatred, you'll see bitterness, you'll see theft, you'll see lying, you'll see deception. You'll see a whole host of things written for us in the Bible. The Bible doesn't hide from us our corruption. The Bible doesn't hide from us our brokenness. The Bible actually reveals all of its ugliness for us. It's, there's some horrendous stories in there of what people have done. It's just showing us the depth of our brokenness. It's showing us what happens when sin takes a hold of us. And today we are all people who experience that brokenness in our own lives. We commit sin ourselves. We do actions that don't bring glory to God. And sometimes we're on the receiving end of that. We become the victims of sinful behaviour. If you're not sure of that... I don't know if anybody saw Friday Shep News, but what was the front page story all about? This sort of school bullying taking place and it's all been captured on Snapchat videos. And if you didn't get that, um, I think if you looked at the Herald Sun or saw something through the week here about this banking royal commission we've seen, 
and it's just revealing this major, massive greed in our society and at the highest levels. I think society and culture around about us get that there is something wrong. We're broken people. It's actually filtered down to every millimetre of our existence. I saw a quote in that story, uh, the financial story, and it was, it was a quote from the 1700s about a greed or how, how are we ever going to fix up this financial mess because people are so greedy. And when I first read it, I didn't realise that was a quote from like 200 or 300 years ago. Nothing's changed. The guy said of the story, it's, it's not going to change, is it? I think he's really right because it's broken within us in our central part. All of the brokenness we experience today comes from the foundation and the result of our unwillingness to glorify God. Every, every aspect of that brokenness pulls out of that foundation that's broken within us. Paul Tripp, who is a great speaker of God's word, says this. He says, we are more broken than we can ever believe. We sort of like to think we're broken a little bit, but we don't really get how broken we are. He says we are more broken than we can ever believe. So let's remember here, as we're thinking about this, we are endeavouring to connect people to Jesus. So to understand this brokenness, we have to see here uh, one of the first and most important things for us to understand in some way is that our biggest problem in life is our sin problem with God, our unglorying of God, our dethroning of God. Sinful humanity is in trouble with a good and holy God because of our sin. Here's why I think it's important, because often people will think their biggest problem in life is my broken relationship. Or it's my poor health and pain that I suffer with. Or it's my woeful bank balance. People think they are my big dramas in life. They are my biggest problems in life. And I get that. I really do get that. Because our present brokenness, as in the brokenness we experience here and now, really does dominate our lives. If you're involved in any of those things, you feel it really well. And all we can seem to feel at at the moment, see and feel, is my present dramas. And, And I'm not underplaying any of those things, those small problems. They are all big problems. If you've got a broken relationship or you've got poor health, or you're in financial difficulty, they are real problems, real problems, hard problems. But it's not your biggest problem. It's not our biggest problem. My poor bank balance doesn't separate me from God. My disastrous health doesn't separate me from God. When I'm the victim of a broken relationship... That won't necessarily separate me from God. At the end of the day, it's my own sinfulness. It's my own corrupted heart that doesn't glorify God, as I should, that has me in trouble with a good and holy God and cuts me off from Him. Sin, my sin, is my biggest problem in life. The Gospel... Firstly, is a life-saving message. The gospel, firstly, is a life-saving message. The gospel is a life-changing message, absolutely. It does transform our lives and will help in all those areas I just mentioned then. 
but it always follows on from being a life-saving message before a life-changing message. Because depending on what the situation is and God's providence and how he works in your life, you may not be able to heal your broken relationship. You'll be saved and you'll go to heaven. And if you're sick and really sick, you'll be saved by the gospel, but you may not be healed. The gospel is firstly a life-saving message and then a life-changing message follows from that. So in connecting people to Jesus, we want them to understand a desperate need that they have. There has to be some bad news because this is what the Holy Spirit uses initially or works with in conversion to some degree. Uh, John tells us this about the Holy Spirit. He says this in chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Spirit does as we connect people to Jesus. There must be a sense of, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with this world. It's our sin, and that's the bad news for us. You know, if we take the time to delicately and carefully work our way through with the bad news with somebody's heart, it can make the good news sound like really good news. It can. Um, I think it's really important that that we get that. Bad news makes good news really good news. If you're going to the doctor and you've got an appointment there and the doctor comes in and says, hey, I've got all your results back, the tests have come back and shown that the tumour is far worse than we thought it was. It's growing rapidly. It has signs of infection on every front. This sort of tumour, if left untreated, has grave consequences, the doctor says. It's serious. With every word of the doctor, as he's saying, that you're probably sinking lower and lower into the seat as he delivers that bad news. But then the doctor says this, we've got good news. We've actually got a cure that is 100% effective for your condition. In the sense that when you hear the bad news and then he gives you the good news, the good news sounds like really good news because you're actually seeing how serious it is but the good news is there's a remedy for that situation the bad news makes good news really good news well we've got good news we have got good news we've got good news for our sin problem it says in that passage Jesus Christ died for our sins Christ died for our sins there's our big problem There's our good news. God becomes a man in Jesus Christ and lives this perfect life, glorifying God in every way possible, just as we were supposed to, just as Adam and Eve started to and then fell. Jesus honours God in every possible way, never once failing or falling or failing to bring glory to God through his entire life. This is what the whole message of the Bible is about in a real sense. Man's sin problem of not glorifying God is laid out plainly for us to see, as we've just said some of the stuff that's in here. But right alongside that, there's what we call a salvation story unfolding. Right from Genesis, right through the entire Bible, God's salvation plan is to come and to rescue mankind from our sin problem. Jesus takes his perfect life and offers it up as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus dies for our sins. Jesus ultimately pays sin's penalty of death 
and gives us his perfect life in exchange for it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that. He says here in verse 21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin. He takes his sin upon himself, who knew no sin. He was perfect. So that in him, in Christ that is, we might become the righteousness of God. There's a great exchange taking place there. Jesus is taking all of our sin off us and placed it upon himself and he's giving us his righteousness. That's the message of the gospel. Then through Jesus' resurrection, he provides us with an unshakable hope that we too will rise with eternal life. He proves this because he has power over death. His sacrifice is accepted by God. Sin's penalty has been fully paid for. It's done. It is finished, Jesus says at the cross. It doesn't stop there, though. Jesus breaks the power of sin. We sung that line there early on. He breaks the power of sin for us here and now. So we no longer need to live as slaves of sin, no longer under the dominion of sin. Sin doesn't have to rule us. The power of the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ, helps us to break power of sin, a sin's power. And ultimately, Jesus will remove the presence of sin from us when we are in glory with him. That's the glorious hope we look forward to in heaven. We will no longer be tempted. We'll no longer have these broken thoughts or uh, bad desires, sinful desires. That is the good news. That really is the good news. Christ died for our sins. That's the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's here in this good news, if we truly perceive it, that we are more loved than we can ever imagine. Who would want to come and die for broken people like us? We are children of God's grace. And it's revealed to us at the cross. It's here at the cross that we discover that God is an incredibly loving God. Far more than we could ever believe. He doesn't come because we're good people. He comes purely because he loves us. He reaches out to us through his son Jesus Christ and he saves us. And we simply respond to that message by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us by his death at the cross. And then we also hold fast to his teachings to repent or turn away from sin. We don't have to jump through hoops and hurdles and sort of go through a whole examination test to see whether we become a Christian or not. He simply says, put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Turn from sin and you receive the free gift of salvation. That is open for anybody. Anybody. That is gloriously good news. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message of hope and truth that brings us the cure for our greatest problem. Whether we see that problem or not, that's the truth. So here's our mission then. Here's our mission. We are news broadcasters. That's who every single one of us are here in this church and every other church around the Greater Shepherd area today. We are all news broadcasters. We are tellers. We are speakers of the good news of Jesus Christ. We are proclaimers. We are proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We speak out a message or we tell people the facts of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we tell them the facts of who we are so they can receive this Christ and understand what life is all about. 
It's a message that we go out and proclaim. We tell people about Jesus. So here's how we go about sharing this gospel. One of the key things that we must first do as proclaimers, as as news broadcasters, is first we must pray and ask God for help in this gospel telling. Now you might say, why do we have to pray? In many respects, the message I've just said to you sounds like a fanciful message. It sounds a bit like a story. And in most people's minds, it'll sound a bit like a silly story. Why am I saying that? Because Paul the Apostle said the very same thing. He said the cross, or the message of the gospel, he says, it's a stumbling block to the Jew, and he said it's foolishness to the Greek. He's really saying it'll just sound like a fanciful story. When I go and tell people that, you know, this guy Jesus 2,000 years ago died on the cross and you need to put your faith in him as as payment for your sins, it'll sound like a story. We need to pray. Because you think about Jesus and Christianity today, it's very often seen as a narrow and insensitive religion. It's intolerant. It's bigoted. That's just where it is. That's how people view Christianity. That's how they view that today. In many respects, the Christian worldview is in opposition to the worldview of the culture we live in. So we've got a hard task here. We need to pray that God will open up the eyes and the ears of our family and friends so they will see and hear Jesus when we talk about him. I'll go so far as to say this. If if we aren't soaking our gospel telling, our gospel proclaiming, if we aren't soaking that in prayer... I would probably think we're not real serious about seeing our family and friends become Christians. That's how critical prayer is when it comes to the gospel. We must be praying. We must be praying that their eyes will be opened up, that their ears will be opened up, that God would come and reveal himself to our family and friends. We must be praying personally. Laura and I get together about two or three times a week and we have a list of about... Maybe eight or nine people we're praying for that the gospel would come into their life. We make it a point to get together and pray for these people. I pray for a number of people every day in my personal prayer. I'm praying, God, will you please... Some of those people I've been praying for now, maybe 30 years, 35 years, still not saved. I'm not giving up. Pray. Got to pray personally. Pray corporately. Pray for the salvation of people corporately. To be born again, to become disciples of Jesus Christ for the first time. We must pray and we must ask God to go with us as we broadcast the gospel. Secondly, we need to get this about being broadcasters of the good news. Everybody here is a news broadcaster. Everybody. Here's what Jesus says in Luke uh, 24 uh, when he's about to leave the disciples and as as it were give this great commission to them again. He says in verse uh, 45 here of Luke 24, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. There's the message that Jesus is telling us. It's repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in all nations, that the Christ should suffer. This is what the cross is all about. 
in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. Now, he's saying that to the disciples back then. But if you're a born-again believer, you too are a witness to these things as well. Not in the physical, but in the reality of what we have in the Scriptures. We are witness to these things. So now we go and take that same message to all the nations. Everybody's a news broadcaster. Everybody's a news broadcaster. We are all commanded to do this. Now, a good friend of mine uh, wrote on one of the um, care sheets uh, last week. He said, oh, where's the box for ticket advances? And I thought, that's a really good question. I appreciate that question. In a sense, there's no box there for evangelism because we are all evangelists. But in another sense, we do do strategic times evangelism. We might tick a box to do that. But we are all evangelists. That's our role, that's our joy, and that's our privilege to be able to be news broadcasters. You and I can do this in a few ways. We all have family members that don't know Jesus, and I would certainly start right there. I mean, I love my sister who's not a believer at this stage. I've got some nieces and nephews as well. I want them to become believers, but unfortunately that can be the hardest place as well to do that, can't it? Within your own family. Maybe you've told them the message of the truth of Christ a number of times. Who knows how many times you may have done that? You know, are you going to go back through the Roman road again and sort of explain it all? Is that what you're going to do? I think the strongest witness that happens then in that situation, in our families, is a life that authenticates the gospel, is a life that lives out the reality of the gospel, is a life that when you face the challenges of life as it comes along, they are looking at your reactions. How's he going to react to this? Or how's she going to react to this in life? That's when I think sometimes the gospel comes out really authentically in their life. They might know the truth. And I know there's there's one young man I've spoken to who's not a believer and a family here at this church. And this guy, he actually just spat it all out and just like he just said, that's what you're going to become a Christian. But he's not a Christian. He knows it all back to front. I'm praying that he'll see the reality of the gospel living in his family and that might trigger him to come. See, sometimes to go back and share it again with your family can probably cause grief. I don't want to hear it. You know, no, just don't tell me about it. So, we live it out. We live it out. We pray. And one thing about I really enjoy about our corporate prayer meetings, particularly here as we get together on Sundays and our place on Mondays, I just enjoy seeing other people pray for unsaved family members in another family. It's just one of the most joyful things as we actually get together and we begin to unite our hearts in praying for unsaved family members. I find it incredibly encouraging for me as I do that because I'm sharing someone else's burden. Someone's heart is breaking over an unsaved son or daughter or mother or father or whatever and I'm able to come alongside them and pray. I find that really, really encouraging. Okay, from family, we move out into our circle of friends because this is our mission. We are here to connect people to Jesus. It doesn't just stay with our family. We may start there, but we move that out into a bigger circle, our circle of friends. And that could be work friends, social club or sporting clubs. It could be wherever. It could be your hairdresser or someone you regularly have a connection with. That's the mission field that is around about us here in Shepparton. We've got to look at these people that we have connections with and see them in a whole new different perspective. Not just the perspective that my work colleague sitting right next to me, they are that, but there's a bigger picture outside of all that. And that bigger picture is the eternal perspective. They too are made as an eternal being of God. 
And we've got to see that their biggest problem isn't necessarily their broken relationship they've just shared with me right beside me. I'll sit and listen and I'll work my way through that and I may use that as an entry point to talk about the brokenness of this world. But ultimately, I need to try and communicate to them in some way that their biggest problem is that they are dethroning God in their life and in a sense, in doing that, they are putting themselves under His judgment. And to be real about that, we have to go further and say, outside of Christ, their position is they will suffer an eternal punishment in hell. Not because of their broken relationship with their temporal friend or husband or wife or whatever, but because of the God who gives them breath and life. I've got to see them in that perspective. They've got a way bigger problem than that. In that sense, I've got to be looking actively for opportunities. How can I inject Jesus into the conversation? How can I be alert and sensing that? How can I pray that maybe the Holy Spirit will help me to just be alert through the conversation in some sense? Oh, I can talk about Jesus here. Yeah, sometimes those opportunities just slip by us really quickly, but you may be able to come back to that conversation and reignite it and bring it on again. That's our mission here as we think about this bigger circle around about us. Praying to be actively alert. Praying to see these people in a whole new light and perspective. They've got a big problem here, which is way outside their temporal problem at this point. And I understand it's not easy sometimes to share the gospel. Sometimes, if you're like me, you get into a situation, prior to it, you've got it all dotted out in your head, but you get in the conversation and your brain freezes and your mouth sort of closes up and it just, you think, what happened? I thought I had it all together prior to coming to that conversation. I could just articulate the gospel or share the gospel. I get that as well. What we're going to do at Exchange here is uh, we want to put together a course, or actually I've got a course now, that will help people to share their faith. Help people to maybe with some tools and helps um, to actually articulate their faith and sort of work through some of those challenges. It's it's a course uh, called Empowered, which we're going to start in a few weeks' time. It's a place for helping people to naturally in a very uh, warm approach to share Jesus. So we want to do that here at Exchange to help equip people for that. Someone might say, if I could just have a bit of help, yep, we want to do that. Also at Exchange, we provide gospel short courses throughout the year to help people discover Christ. And we mentioned earlier on, we're going to do a life explored course. We do this two times a year because some people might say, look, I'm not really great at articulating it or communicating it, but I could bring somebody along to a course. Great. We don't care how they hear the message of the gospel as long as we get an opportunity to share that to them in a loving way. So we want to put that on so there's opportunities for you thinking, I can bring someone to that. Yeah, great. Bring them along and you come with them so they can hear about Jesus. We do that a couple of times a year here. Also, our men's and ladies' ministry as well are great opportunities to actually introduce people to believers for the first time because sometimes unbelievers or people who aren't Christians they've probably got maybe skewed concepts or skewed ideas of what a Christian is like we provide opportunities both through our men's and ladies ministry for a place to come in and actually ah that's actually you blokes aren't as bad as I thought you were change their view on Christians that could also be another connection point where that can happen so here's our mission We have this glorious news, the most glorious news that anybody could ever hear to share with our family and friends. We have the treasure of Jesus Christ revealed to us and in us 
to share with the world. We have the person of Jesus himself who in sacrificial love came into our broken lives, picked us up, forgave us, restored us by taking our sin upon himself so that we could be made right with again. We have this glorious news about a Jesus who calls us into a relationship of joy in knowing him, about a Jesus who calls us into a relationship of peace in knowing him, about a relationship of Jesus who calls us into this point now of hope in knowing him. This is the good news that we have. We've got to believe who Jesus is. We've got to believe that his gospel is the best news there is possible out there to be told. We've got to be active in sharing that good news of the gospel of Christ for his glory. And we've got to believe that we are together in this as a church and that Jesus, the centre of the gospel message, is with us all the time in sharing that story. We've got to believe that and we've got to carry that mission out for his glory and to see that joy and peace and hope and forgiveness extend into the world we live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this glorious message. We thank you for the truth of this message. We thank you today that you have uh, called us into this message as we believe and as we turn from sin. God, I pray today that you will just further deepen the glorious convictions of the gospel into our hearts that we have been saved. We have been saved from our sins by Christ dying in our place. God, I pray today that you'll help us to, as it were, open up our perspective into the world where we live, that we are all evangelists, that we are all news broadcasters, and that, Lord, you're with us in every single aspect. And I pray, God, today that you would do really big and glorious things in our life through this, that, God, that you would bear fruit in our lives for gospel conversion. Father, we are really asking and praying as a church that this year we would see new conversions, more new conversions in our church. Father, we, we, we like transfer growth, that's okay, but, Father, we want new conversions. We really want to see people, Lord, for the first time become believers in Jesus Christ. Father, as we think about family and friends, God, we all have people in our families who are not believers. God, please help us again to authenticate the gospel out through our lives before our family and friends. Help us to get the eternal perspective here, Lord. Not only with family, but friends and work colleagues. God, that they, outside of Christ, cut off from Christ, Lord, truly are on death row. They're loving life, they're enjoying life, but they cannot see, Lord, that they are on death row. Please give us the vision to see that. And then please empower us, we ask, Holy Spirit, to reach out to our family and our friends with the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, we ask and we pray that we would carry this mission out for your glory and for the extension of your kingdom, we pray. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Caleb's going to come and uh, lead us around the communion table. If I can get um, Elliot and uh, Marlene, if you guys...